Hello, beautiful nerds. This is Roman Mars. 99% Invisible and Radiotopia are launching a new fundraising campaign, and this isn't like the Kickstarter. This is about getting as many people as we can to donate a little bit every month. We want to be with you making the best show possible for years, and the best way to do that is to ensure that we have monthly contributors that we can count on. This is why Netflix and HBO make all the best TV shows. They know they're getting money from subscribers every month so they can take chances and always strive for greatness. This is the same principle. The show will always be free to everyone, but if you value the stories we make and want to be part of our little tribe, pledge to throw in a few bucks a month. It'll be one of those things that makes you feel good. In my experience, supporting the things that you like is the surest way to feel good. And if you pledge just $4 a month, I'll send you an exclusive 99% Invisible Challenge Coin. It's beautiful. And if you heard the Challenge Coin episode and you see the one we made, I know you'll want it. You can see a picture of it at radiotopia.fm and you can only get it during this drive. It won't be for sale afterward. I might hand them out if you see me in person, but a Challenge Coin is earned when you demonstrate outstanding service and commitment. And if you pledge to support 99% Invisible into the future every month, that, my friends, deserves the most beautiful challenge coin ever created. And that's what we have for you. Also, if you need a little extra motivation, our friends at Slack have promised to give Radiotopia $25,000 extra if and only if we get 5,000 donations of any level in the first week. That ends on Monday, October 26th. So it could be as little as $1 and that'll count. Your $1 could mean $25,000 and $1 to us if you just pledge at Radiotopia.fm. Slack, of course is the best. So go to radiotopia.fm or find the donate button on 99pi.org and become one of the beautiful nerds. Get your own 99pi challenge coin and keep 99% invisible and radiotopia going forever. And if I see you on the street or at an event and you tell me, I love the show, I'm going to say two words back to you. Coin check. Thanks. This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. In September 2015, Duke University's football team promoted its backup quarterback to starter. This was a little bit of a shakeup because the new starting quarterback was a total rookie stepping up to take command of the team. Duke's new quarterback may have been inexperienced, but he sure did look the part. He was exactly the kind of person you'd cast in a movie about a team trying to turn their luck around. Dude is 6'4", 225 pounds, has boyish good looks, and an aw shucks grin. That's all shucks producer, Sam Greenspan. Meanwhile, in Orange County, California, a public defender was making headlines for his work investigating how local law enforcement had been stacking the deck against defendants. Newspapers show him in a standard suit with wireframe glasses, ducktail hair, and a goatee. He's got the look of a 20-year veteran of the courts who's managed to keep hold of his ideals. Meanwhile, in the West African country of Burkina Faso, a group of armed soldiers in military fatigues forced their way into a cabinet meeting and asserted their control over the government. In each of these cases, the quarterback, the attorney, the coup, newspaper articles about each of them described them in exactly the same way. They were all written up as being straight out of a central casting. Calling something or someone from central casting is a kind of cultural shorthand for a stereotype or archetype. Something so visually perfect that it's like it's been designed. The first time Barack Obama flew in Air Force One, he said to the pilot, I've got to say, you're out of central casting. You're exactly what I want the pilot of Air Force One to look like. 
If you do a news search for the phrase straight out of central casting, you'll get tons of hits about athletes, business executives, politicians, billionaire philanthropists. But every now and then, you'll find an article that makes reference to a proper noun central casting in Burbank, California. Morning. I'm going to central casting, please. I've known the phrase straight out of central casting for a long time, but I'd never really stopped to think about where it came from. And so I was quite surprised to learn that central casting is a real place. I know, right? It's like learning that Acme is a real company and that they still make anvils. Even my taxi driver, a longtime resident of Los Angeles, even he didn't know central casting was real. Central casting is in Burbank, California, in the San Fernando Valley, and it's where the vast majority of extras come from. Okay, I am on South Flower Street in Burbank, California, outside of the central casting building. It's a nondescript two-story office building, the kind of place you'd expect to find an orthodontist. And every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, starting in the very early, early morning, people line up outside Central Casting. When I got there at 8 o'clock on a Monday morning, there were about 50 people in line. It would grow to about 100 over the next hour. And at the very front was a woman named Carissa Garrow. I got here at 3.10 in the morning. 3.10 a.m.? Yeah. So it's already been here. a long day. Yeah, it has. The people in line at Central Casting aren't there for auditions. Carissa and everyone behind her in line are there for the chance to fill out some paperwork, take a headshot, and get entered into Central Casting's database for extras. They will not be cast for speaking roles, though many, if not all the people in line, are hoping that a director or producer will like their look and give them some dialogue. Just like how John Wayne and Marilyn Monroe and Brad Pitt got started. The line of Hollywood hopefuls stretches down the sidewalk. Some people have brought lawn chairs or blankets to sit on, and they all look, well, they look like they're straight out of Central Casting. There's a handsome Texan in a suit and tie, fresh face to the prospect of showbiz. Friends um, called me over, and I'm from Texas, so they was like, hey, you want to do some background work? Central Casting, you can go over there. There's a female bodybuilder. I do fitness competitions, so I'm trying to build myself as a brand in that industry as well. A guy who calls himself Kid Radioactive. I'm going to be famous. <laughs> Even though it's already hot and most of the people here have been waiting for three, four, five hours, people are cheerful, optimistic even. Then, at around 9.30, a guy emerges from inside Central Casting. He's handing out these laminated slips of paper. They kind of look like oversized bookmarks. These are the tickets in to today's registration process. He only makes it halfway down the line when he runs out. You didn't get one, I'm sorry. Should we wait and see if somebody doesn't have their paperwork? No, ma'am. No? Thank you. Come back uh, Wednesday. Thank you. Wednesday morning. If you try to line up between like four, maybe five in the morning. Central Casting's bouncer is named Russell LeBlanc. I'm the safety specialist who's passing out the cards this morning. Right. So your people's either best friend or worst enemy in the morning. Yes, pretty much. One person protests and a few ask Russell about exceptions, but most of the 60-odd people who didn't get tickets retreat to their cars wordlessly. Then, the door to central casting opens up, and the 50 or so left, golden tickets in hand, slowly file in. The first job that any aspiring film actor gets is usually as an extra, known in the industry 
as background actors. They're the people who really make the film without your being aware that they're present. That's Anthony Slide. My name is Anthony Slide. I am the author of 76 books, I believe, if I count correctly, on the history of popular entertainment. And one of them is Hollywood Unknowns, a history of Hollywood extras, stand-ins, bit players, and stunt people. Even though the industry has shifted to calling them background actors, Anthony Slide still calls them extras. They were always called extras in the early years. Um, Theodore Dreiser, the novelist, called them Atmospherians, which is a rather nice title, I think. If you're a director, you need Atmospherians, because if you try to shoot a film out in the world with regular people... The risk you take is the people walking around are suddenly aware they're being filmed, and so they're suddenly going to start waving at the camera, uh, mugging or whatever. Plus, you're going to have to shoot the same scene a bunch of different times, and so you need to be able to tell your actors, background included, where to go and what to do. You need people who are paid to listen to you. It's about control, yes. In the early days of cinema, the Hollywood machine had near-complete control of extras, both on the set and off. People would come from all over seeking fame and fortune. And to get work, people converged on the gates of the movie lots, hoping to get cast for the day. They were desperate. Many were exploited. So many horror stories were emanating from Hollywood that by the 1920s, Hollywood had been nicknamed the Port of Missing Girls. The Port of Missing Girls. It's a place where women flocked in their thousands, in their tens of thousands, in the hope of getting into films. And they were all very vulnerable. They were reliant upon the men at the studios, particularly the casting directors, the assistant directors, who would hire them. And a lot of times, these men would simply ask for sexual favors uh, as um, as a reward for hiring them to, to appear in a movie for a dollar a day. Extras who did get hired were often not paid what they were promised. By 1925, the state of California was threatening to investigate Hollywood if they didn't clean up their act. And so as a means of regulating the industry and keeping the government off their back, the Motion Pictures Association of America, the MPAA, established central casting. A centralized clearinghouse to match people who wanted to be extras with the people who wanted to hire them. Now, instead of just picking one of the major movie studios and just standing around at the gates all day hoping to be picked, people who wanted to be extras could register with central casting. So now they could wait by their phone, hoping for a call like... Hello? This is Mabel Jones? Why, yes. Berkeley Company. Warners. Be there at 8 tomorrow. Street clothes. Extras also called in to central casting. Constantly. So much so that the operators developed super quick ways to relay information. If there was no work, they'd say Nurk. Nurk. They wanted the extras to try again later, they'd say Trelay. Trelay. But as cinema took off and as silent films gave way to talkies, the need for extras only grew. And central casting had to get more sophisticated in its tracking and recruitment of extras. This is the team that's doing the registration today. Back in present day central casting, executive vice president Jennifer Bender is showing me around. So then afterwards, they'll come over here and get their photos taken. This office is one of three. Central casting is now in Burbank, New York, and New Orleans. Between all three offices, we've got about 90,000, almost 100,000 people. It's like there's a small city living inside their computer servers. An extremely diverse and infinitely indexable city. This is Sam. 
Hi, I'm Sam. Brandy, nice, nice to, to meet, meet you. you. Jennifer introduces me to Brandy Hawkins. Uh, my name is Brandy Hawkins, and I'm a lead casting director here. I cast stand-ins, photo doubles, dead bodies, restaurant patrons, circus acts, everything. Everybody that's not talking. Brandy takes me on a test drive of how the central casting database works. She opens up a window on their custom-built software, which has just about every search parameter for a person you can imagine. Height, race, shoe size, bus size, tattoos, location of tattoos, missing limbs, how much nudity you'll do. Now, she just needed a target. Do you want to look for, like, your photo double? Oh my god, yeah, let's do that. Okay. So I, this is just looking at you, this is what I would do, but you can't get offended by anything. No, please. So I would do, like, I would go in maybe the 24 to 35 range. Okay. And I would do Caucasian, male. I'd do like six, six one. Six two. It's pretty good. So I would do like six to six three. I would do hair color, brunette or brown. Coat, but 40, 42, somewhere 40. in there. I'm good at this. <laughs> and like 32 waist. 32 waist. And so then we would just do a search. And one by one, a stream of tall, brown haired, 30 something white dudes all scroll by. And then we just kind of scroll through and see kind of who we think that like might come up that anywhere near. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> like I would submit him. He looks like he'd be like your long lost brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh man, that sounds so unsettling. It was a little unsettling. I just wanted to stand up and shout, no, I'm unique. I asked Brandy how she got comfortable talking so explicitly about what people look like. It was very difficult at first because I came from a human resources background and there were so many things you couldn't do. Like you couldn't uh, hire people based off of their looks. Whereas now that's what it's all about. Like they'll literally say, I need African-American male, six feet tall that fits these sizes. And you know, like if you're creating a basketball team, it, you know, it's not gonna look like a realistic basketball team if they're all these Caucasian looking guys who are five foot four. And so to do this, Central Casting, and pretty much every casting agency that deals with background, there are plenty of others, their callouts can be pretty blunt. Central Casting's Facebook page is full of descriptions such as, and this is a real one, quote, looking for hip, attractive men and women who appear to be Asian in their 20s with trendy wardrobe, no visible tattoos. To an outsider, this language can really feel abrasive. It's clear that this line of work demands that you categorize and stereotype. Kristen Barona is a senior casting director at Central Casting. And to get a feel for how she works, I asked her how she'd cast a couple different locations, starting with a dive bar. A dive bar, I would probably do an older Caucasian guy bartender, kind of maybe on, a little bit on the bikery side or a little bit on the sketchy side because they're always at a dive bar. Then I would probably do a second bartender that would be like a tatted up hipster and some women that have probably been, you know, through it. <laughs> Uh, auto body shop. Auto body shop. Um, auto body workers, mostly Hispanic um, guys. I would do definitely a guy in his 40s, kind of paunchy with maybe a mustache. Um, and then some younger guys that are kind of running around. I would probably do a female in her 50s that's the receptionist. I mean, I picture myself in the place and what I would see. Background actors are supposed to look like they belong there. So casting directors play to our expectations about how we think the real world looks. And sometimes, in doing so, they end up perpetuating those expectations. Casting directors are trying to strike a balance between authenticity and expectation. They're constantly looking at the real world and wondering if it matches the way they would cast it. 
here's Central Casting Executive Vice President Jennifer Bender again. The other week I was in New York and I was walking down the street and there were, this is just so silly, there were more blondes than brunettes. And what's very stereotypical if you're casting a New York street scene is they don't want any blondes because people think of New York, they think of brunettes, right? And I just thought to myself, if I were to cast this scene, doing a New York street scene, I would be fired because this, it doesn't even look like it should be really here. Back in the registration room, the people who are waiting outside all morning sit at chairs facing a PowerPoint presentation. A central casting employee comes out. The central casting orientation is pretty much like any new employee orientation. All right, the next form is the I-9 form. That should be the second to last page in your pocket. Though every now and then, there are some forms to fill out that you would not find at most places of business. And on to level of nudity. For this one, I do need everyone to select one thing. So uh, yes would be um, everything, of course. No is a swimsuit for women. And partial would be naked seen from the rear for men. So just keep that in mind. Um, of course, you can always edit this. So There are boxes to check for tattoos, piercings, missing body parts. If you can dress in drag, can dress like a clown, can juggle. There's also information about how the payment system works and a session on identifying the signs of heat exhaustion and who to talk to if you're feeling ill on set. After about an hour of document signing, everyone gets a headshot. One, two, and three. And that's it. They are released back into the world where they will wait for a role. There's a cynicism that one could take here, that central casting is about turning humans into objects. It is one of the only, if not the only job, where you are hired solely for what you look like. On the other hand, though, one could argue that this is progress. Here, everyone will be seen. The young, the old, the short, the tall, the housewife, the ex-gang member, the bombshell, the amputee. This is a pathway into showbiz that's not about nepotism or cronyism or who you'll sleep with. At Central Casting, people fill out I-9s and get some knowledge base about what to expect on set. And actually get paid. And maybe, just maybe, one of them could become the next Brad or Marilyn. But until then, they'll check Facebook and wait by their phones for the call. Hey, Jill, this is Jimmy from Central Casting. Hey, I'm calling to see if you want to work American Crime Story tomorrow. All right, so you're going to be media type at 9.30 a.m.? Correct. Awesome, thank you, Jill. Of course, all right, bye-bye. Hey, Dusty, this is Jimmy from Central Casting. Hey, how's it going, man? Good, good, are you available tomorrow? Awesome. All right, so you're going to be media type at 9.30 a.m.? Correct. And you're all set? All right, you too, bye-bye. Um, we're booked up on the Caucasian spots. So we need one more African-American, one Hispanic, one Asian. Stars fading, but I linger on, Still craving your kiss. I'm longing to linger till dawn. 99% Invisible was produced this week by Sam Greenspan with Katie Mingle, Avery Truffleman, Kurt Colstead, and me, Roman Mars. Special thanks to Davia Nelson, Ellen Lewis, Grant Wilfley, Claire Tanner, Andrea Hume, Bill Marinella, Devin Brown, Jack Wallace, Alana Goldstein, Raquel Lamoth, and everyone at Central Casting for letting us in the front door. The people you heard online were Carissa Garrow, Corey Lowe, Carolyn Mahar, and Eric Bird, a.k.a. Kid Radioactive. Dream of 
We are a project of 91.7 KALW San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interiors firm not even remotely out of central casting in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Support for 99% Invisible and Radiotopia comes from our listeners. I'm able to make the choices I make for this show because I've been honored by listener support. So, for example, you can subscribe to this show and never hear an advertisement. I put them all at the end because... I know a dedicated group will keep listening and patronize the businesses I partnered with because those businesses are amazing and top drawer, but the ads are completely opt-in. Now, my ads perform better than anyone else's. Ask Slack. That's one of the reasons why they made me a spokesperson. But the ads are opt-in, so you're not forced to listen to them. They never show up in the middle to screw up a story, and that costs this production a lot of money. Ads in the middle pay much more, even though mine are better and are more effective at the end. Anyway, that's my personal choice. I like the choice I made, but I only got the freedom to make that aesthetic choice because I also get financial support from listeners as well. Now, you might not agree with my choice in this case, but I bet you agree that having artistic freedom makes for the best program possible. If you want to pitch in and continue the independent, story-driven revolution of Radiotopia, go to radiotopia.fm and contribute. Whatever you do will matter. If 5,000 of you pledge at radiotopia.fm by Monday, October 26th, Slack will give us an extra $25,000. If you pledge at $4 a month, I'll send you a sweet 99PI challenge coin. Best of all, when you pledge, you're going to feel like a million bucks because you supported art and creativity, which is always the best feeling. Go to radiotopia.fm. Support is also provided by NatureBox. NatureBox is so good, it will change the way you snack forever. Nothing will probably unseat the pineapple ring as the NatureBox champion, but we will keep trying because there are new snacks every month for us to choose from. They have a smart snack guarantee, so if there's anything that you don't like in your NatureBox, they will replace it in your next box so you can be adventurous. Fortune favors the bold flavor. Go online to naturebox.com slash 99pi to have your first box of beyond tasty hand-picked snacks sent directly to your doorstep. That's naturebox.com slash 99pi. Support is also provided by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform. Squarespace sites look professionally made regardless of your skill level with no coding required. They have intuitive and easy-to-use tools, and Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. Plans start at just $8 a month, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com, and when you decide to purchase Squarespace... Make sure you use the offer code INVISIBLE to get 10% off your first purchase. That's squarespace.com. Use the offer code INVISIBLE. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And finally, for years, we've been supported by MailChimp. We're doubling down and committing more resources to our mailing list and website now that Kurt is on the team. And we're going to use the mailing list to explore stories that might not make it onto the podcast. I'm really excited about it. And MailChimp makes this new foray easy to do no matter what the size of your business. You should try them out for yourself at MailChimp.com and send better email today. And the only other thing you have to remember is Radiotopia.fm. Pledge now, put us over 5,000 donors so we can get that extra 25,000 from Slack, and you can get that challenge coin. There are a lot of other gifts too, but I really, really love the challenge coin. Remember, if you see me on the street and you didn't pledge, it's going to go like this. Hey, Roman, I really like your show. Coin check. Uh... 
I didn't get a 99% invisible challenge coin. How embarrassing! <laughs> Don't let that happen to you. Radiotopia.fm Radiotopia. Radiotopia.